Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Tooele Happy Hour podcast starring Jared Anderson and David Weiss, where if Head Trauma had a podcast, this is what it would sound like. Today's <laughs> guest is Rod. Rod Bird is running for Mitt Romney's previous Senate seat. He is, uh, I think you're number four in the race now, aren't you? For the Republican Party. You're the fourth one in. Heck no, I was the second one in. Well, there's four of you. Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. I'll okay. be like, wait wait a minute. No, but yeah, there's four of us. There's four of you. Okay, so it's I've like, got my Don't count put me right. at the bottom of the pile already. <laughs> You're the third one we've interviewed. Cool. So we still have one more to go after this, if, we get, if we're allowed to get them all. But, you know what? You've got a pretty interesting history. You, uh, you have... You're a business owner, right? Yes, sir. You're a mayor. Yep. And you've been doing this for a while, This uh, the, the, the politics stuff, right? Been doing it since I was 34, so 10 years, basically. That's, that's a while. Yeah, well, yeah. it's too long. About, tell us about your uh, your history in politics. All right, I'll, I'll try to be brief, but give you enough information that you get an idea. So um, when I got involved with politics at 34, I had taken a, a constitution class, U.S. history class, and was feeling pretty patriotic, and just felt compelled to run for city office as my duty, you know, you know, civic duty and everything else, and really had an an idea that that's why everybody does this, is to give back to the community, to serve, and uh, I got elected and realized that that wasn't entirely the case. What and was it, the first city office? City council. City council. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I got on the city council and, and had a less than positive experience. <laughs> and uh, because I was seeing things that was happening, it wasn't, it, they weren't terrible things, but they were things of transparency, things of doing things, uh, you know, according to state code, according to state constitution, our own ordinances. But I really didn't understand it then. I mean, most people that get involved with politics they really don't understand. They're just well-intentioned for the most part, at least I thought, and uh, have a lot to learn. So when I saw that situation, it felt wrong, but I didn't know why. And that's when I dove into the Constitution, the state code, our codes, and realized that there are laws and ordinances that actually protect against those things, you know, open meetings acts, mm -hmm. and making sure that we're doing the, our business open to the public and involving the public with our decisions. And so there was kind of a battle that, that ensued between me and, and the rest of the council, and that was a difficult thing mm -hmm. at the time. And it was probably the worst experiences that I had uh, in my life up to that point. I, I hated it and actually uh, had a health issue that I needed to get taken care of, had open heart surgery. Doctor said, you know, get away from any stress at least for the next year. So I resigned and I was a little bit grateful thinking I'll never do that again. <laughs> this was in your thirties. <laughs> this was in my thirties. Wow. So I was 36 I've, at the time. I've seen that awfulness. I don't want to be around it. Right. Well, then it was just, it was difficult to see those things uh, in a small community like that. And like I said, it wasn't super awful, but it was just concerning. Yeah. You're the, uh, you're the current mayor of Roosevelt. What's the population in Roosevelt? 7,300. 7,300. Yeah. That's what Grantsville used to be. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have grown a little bit. Or yeah, I, I grew <laughs> up in, in, I started out about 5,000, but graduated about 
where Roosevelt is now. Yeah. My, my community where I lived was 5,000 people, and I had 50 in my class when I graduated. So we had 70. Well, we probably had around, at the time, 6,000 people, mm-hmm. and we graduated over 100 in our class. So I think mm-hmm. that's, yeah. But hey, he comes from a foreign country, though. They don't reproduce the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. They should yeah. have a license. Uh, so, they should, you should require a visa for you to come visit, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> Being from New York. But anyways, go on. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, I thought I was done with politics. And then a couple of years later, the mayor position came open. I felt compelled again to do it against, you know, my judgment or you know what i personally wanted and knew that i was getting back into the lion's den and ended up running but with a totally different approach the second time you know and you and i jared were talking a little bit about you know uh the fight that's going on with politics and and how that's not real effective and that's what i found when i was first on the council so when i came in as mayor it was a totally different approach and uh you know put my name in the hat ran and actually won with over 70 percent of the vote and I ran against an incumbent. That's uh, a big margin. Con- yeah. Against an incumbent. Yeah. Too. So shared around. Uh, well, it was an incumbent councilman. So he was oh. out, he was he he was there and he was running for the mayor seat. I ran against him, and uh, won with over seventy percent of so the vote. So he was yeah. an incumbent running to move up. Yep. But he's currently sitting on the city council. Correct. So he's got the weight of of being in the politics working in the building absolutely and you're coming in from although you've been there previously coming in from the outside that's that's impressive it's not well i think part of that was i gained the trust of the people there Mm -hmm. because the whole objective of being there on the council and in that position is to do what's right for the people and to serve the people and they saw that and so that really carried a lot of weight with them um and obviously the that is that is really what I can attribute uh, that win to. And uh, since then, you can see what we've done in Roosevelt as far as uh, previously, there were a few committees when I was on the council, when I started to bring up the Open Meetings Act and things like that, that our committees needed to meet openly as well. Uh, they were disbanded by that council. Mm. So when I got elected as mayor, I brought those back. I actually brought a few others forward to vote on. So they disbanded the committee meeting. So like even council members doing fact finding, it probably dried up. Well, and that's the, and why would they do that? But you're right. Mm. So it was an interesting, it was an interesting time, and there were some interesting battles and and things that I had actually done in between resigning and being mayor that I couldn't just let go because. Uh, that's when they started to get rid of those committee or, you know, continue to get rid of those committees. And it was very concerning. And so uh, we have six functioning committees right now, mm-hmm. including our planning and zoning. We have an arts parks direct uh, committee. We have an economic development committee. We have an interfaith committee. We have an airport board and a golf committee. And that's where we get our information. How does golf pull so much weight that it gets its own committee? That's wild. Well, <laughs> it is the number one largest budget item of the city besides because, our police force because of how big golf courses are it's it's a it for a population of 7300 it's a miracle that we have it it's it's been a jewel of roosevelt mm-hmm. but it is a, a large burden on our citizens well, so we the water the grass oh the yeah keep the maintenance the equipment to maintain it right that's if you don't even have golf cart golf carts or we do have golf house. carts we have both but if you don't 
just the land itself. They golf courses are expensive. They are an expensive <laughs> item, but if you get one, you can make it a boon if you can get people to golf. Yeah, and and you know it's the golf course doesn't break even on, you know, people coming and golfing and and we pay for it that way, but I'll tell you it has been a boon to our community in the sense that there's a lot of fundraising that happens on the golf mm-hmm. course with a lot of the tournaments and so there's hundreds of thousands of dollars that's that's raised every year through golf tournaments that goes back into the community that is one of those things that's hard to quantify but it is a blessing that way um, and it's something that we have and now we have to take care of that's one thing that i think people don't realize and they may look at me uh, as just coming from a rural place in utah and maybe i don't know a whole lot but running an airport running a golf course having our recreation we have all our own police force and in fact, as mayor and council, we've increased the police force budget. When everybody was saying, uh, you know, defund police, we increased their budget 34%. Mm-hmm. Gave them the equipment they, meet, they need. We went from being the, uh, you know, maybe a, a more inferior police department to one of the top police departments in our area, if not the top, and uh, able to recruit really good people. We have good equipment have good vehicles, and uh, it's been awesome to see what we've been able to do. But yeah, we pack a big punch for such a small town, and, uh, and we do some pretty big things. Mm. Let, me, let me ask you this. You were talking about you want to do what's right for the people. So you must have some sort of a political algorithm that you throw these scenarios through, run them through, and come out with some sort of an output saying, yeah, that's bad, or no, or that's right. Can you explain your thought process when you're evaluating these kind of uh, events that you're you're witnessing in the, in the political arena, and and coming up with your output? Give me an idea. Give, I mean, give me an example. Of what you mean? And I'll tell. And well, you you said you felt something wasn't right. Yeah. And then you discovered something was not correct about providing sure. transparency to the people. Yeah. Something went through you and something came out. Yeah, that's a very How basic. Did it happen? Yeah, that's a very basic. So uh, we have taxpayers that pay taxes. And when we start spending that taxpayer money without asking them their and, and giving them input on that, that's wrong. That's like me saying, hey, give me your money, David. And, and I know how to spend this money better than you do. And I don't want you seeing or knowing what I'm doing with that money. Just trust me that, that it's being spent in your best interest. Like to me, that is not right. That's immediately my, my whole, uh, you know, just inside is if I can't do something in daylight and with you being involved and you being involved, then I shouldn't be doing that probably. Mm-hmm. And so that was what it was, is just certain things happening that, that they didn't, you know, we don't want the public's input, but we're going to spend your money on this. Was and, there anything that they were spending money on that, that once the public input became involved that they dialed back because it was unpopular or... Well, so the or or were they well-meaning, just didn't want to have to explain themselves as they went along. Well, in in government, you should always have to explain oh, yourself. Believe me, <laughs> believe me, but it is easy to spend other people's money. Well, it, the thing of it is, is it's very convenient when you don't have people involved to be able to to navigate that 
however you want. It does, and make it, it does make government more dynamic. Yeah. But government was never designed to be dynamic. No. It was designed to move very slowly. And I look at those funds as sacred funds. And so in this, in, in this particular situation, it was a, it was a project. Uh, it had been on the ballot for the county. It had got voted down. It had been on about the ballot for the city. It had got voted down. And then it got taken by a, a special interest group, basically, and continued that way. Mm. Sounds like our high schools around here. Like, <laughs> the let's just keep putting them on the on the ballot until they pass. Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't even that. It was basically, well, that didn't go, but we're gonna try to find a way. So anyway. then they found an outside source to make it happen, and then they just funneled money into it. Or the, the intent was to try to get donations. Now, if you look at the if you look at the project that we were doing. Um, the O&M and everything else was going to be a substantial amount as well. Mm-hmm. And so in my mind at the time, getting the building built, it, it was a pool. It was an indoor pool, lap pool, and then, you know, outside kid pool. And, and, and that was catered to, in my mind, lap swimmers when our demographic in our area was women and young children. And we should have been catering that pool to them. It should have mm-hmm. had a slide inside of there. Yes, things like that. And so uh, as we looked at that... Um, and as I, I became aware of what was going on in the design and everything else, I realized, well, that's not what I think the taxpayers' dollars ought to be spent on. And, uh, but it was that special interest group that maybe were lap swimmers or whatever it may be that was pushing that along, and they weren't allowing the public to be involved. And so as I started to get more vocal about it, it got interesting. Yeah, well, not just that, but lap swimming sounds something like you can sell to investors more than a kiddie pool. Well, actually, in all honesty, a, a kiddie pool is going to give you more revenue than lap swimmers. It would, mm-hmm. but, but investors aren't going to look yeah. at it that way. Well, and, and you look at the investors, uh, well, and, and we won't get in the weeds with it, but uh, there was some bias there. Uh, let's just put it that way. And mm. so I'm not saying that it was a bad project. I'm saying that project shouldn't have been able to move forward without 100 percent yeah because uh, you know buy in by a, the public it would have been a project that services 10 percent of the population mm-hmm. and ignores 90 at a, at a yeah. huge subsidy mm-hmm. and now, the squeaky wheel in government usually gets the grease especially when that squeaky wheel yeah. has some funding connections too mm-hmm. yeah kind of yeah. like building a football stadium or something you know, like <laughs> bringing the nfl in and building a or any professional sports and you're going to run into that a lot if you're elected senator uh Mm -hmm. i mean just just thinking what right off the top of my head you have the the american sugar industry (laughs) just off the top of his head something he doesn't bring up every show so uh, are you familiar with how the sugar cartels work in america i am not it's very similar so they have a lot of money a lot of lobbying power sure so they artificially keep the price of external sugars from being purchased. Mm-hmm. It's a tariff. Yeah. And then well, we create corn syrup and well, feed a, that to our kids. Well, it's a tariff that was set up under FDR, you know, the great savior of the nation, without it, yeah. it'd all be done. Anyways, <laughs> um, it's a tariff that was set up under his Farm Act, you know, him and, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, what the heck was his name? Uh, Ezra Taft Benson, okay, who was the head of the Department of Agriculture back then. How would you forget a name like that? (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, everyone in Utah knows who that is. Right. Um, but what it does is it boosts our corn economics mm-hmm. in the middle of the country. Which That's what ethanol does as well and it's gasoline. It's a positive thing, that, but to have it done through making it so that you can't buy a Coke with real sugar in it is an issue. Well, it's interesting you say that, too, because um, I like to drink soda, but soda not from the United States. And because the reason is, is you can't find soda in the United States that doesn't have high fructose corn syrup mm-hmm. in it. Ketchup, too. You right. go to Mexico, you get sugary ketchup. You go to Canada, you get sugary because ketchup. Because it's outlawed in those, from my knowledge, that RFDA allows it. Their Food and Drug Administration, whatever it's they're called, will not and allow that. And they're strict that. on dyes. They're strict. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar's a lot cheaper from countries that have a free market import of sugar. And, and, and you know, I mean, we as Republicans love to talk about how we love the free market. But <laughs> we're the backers of that communist bill as well as the Democrats. I think everyone's the backer of that in there. That Once you start touching the FDA, it seems like... Uh, that is a huge Gordian knot that I don't think anything congressional has been able to touch for a very long time. Right. Well, you have all of the all of the food producers and everything else, but you have all the lobbyists, like you've mentioned. What I've realized, and, and this is again, when I ran for council and I had that, you know, naive Mayberry thought of, hey, this is everybody's just running to, you know, get back to the community or whatever. You look at it on a large scale at the federal level, and everybody's looking to get reelected. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, the career politicians, their only their objective is to get re- reelected. And I won't say all politicians, but I will say the career politicians. And how they do that is they accept money from these lobbyist organizations and everything else to fund their campaigns it's because it takes them. an immense amount of money to run. For me, I, I'm learning this firsthand. They've got to it's fund difficult. the party as well. Exactly. And so you're taking, I, I don't know if I would call them bribes, but you're taking favors, money from mm-hmm. organizations, and then you're doing their bidding, bidding. And who gets left behind? The people. The people. And that is the biggest fundamental issue in my mind with the way things work in Washington. How can the people have a voice if you can't afford to go and lobby you, for yourself? You buy a lobbyist. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of lobbyists, I noticed on your page that you're a member of a few lobbying groups that I I hold near and dear to my heart. Okay. And then one that I I know where you're going with that this I now. don't hold near dear, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> if we were to read through them real quick. Oh, um, you're gonna call me out now. Okay. You're a member of GOA. Love it. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what GOA is? Gun Owners of, Gun Owners of America. Mm-hmm. I myself. Uh, National Association of Gun Rights. Love it. Mm-hmm. Utah Shooting Sports Council. Amazing. Mm-hmm. National Wild Turkey Federation. Awesome. National Rifle Association. Oh. Not so much. Well, they've, they've been a part of writing every... Anti-gun bill we've had. Seriously, every one of so them. So is it is it something you think they're doing to keep the fight up so that they can keep the funding coming, or what are you, what are your thoughts? I think they're uh, the they are. If I was to shoot off the hip, I would say they're a boogeyman for the Democrats to point at. 
Mm. But they actually do nothing for gun rights. Interesting. The old, God, what was it? Eighteen ninety, whenever. Don't feel bad. I used to. Support well, I was going to say. Too. I didn't know. No, I thought I was, I was a. I was, too. I was a great American. I was a supporting our gun. You're a member of Gun Owners of America. Yeah. So you offset that. Great. You know the GOA was made to fight <laughs> against the NRA. Really. Hundred percent. Are you serious? Yep. The NRA was sponsoring a bill in like. Late 1800s, early 1900s, to make handguns illegal. Mm-hmm. And there's an oh, the second national weapon association is it was the Handgunners of America mm-hmm. popped up to fight the NRA on making handguns illegal. The NRA suggested making handguns they illegal. They wrote the thing. Oh, you got to be kidding me! They fought. For You're it. hurting my feelings now because. Years ago, I became, I, didn't know I became a until. lifetime member. And that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I got my jacket. Here's my argument. Uh, Time for you to get deeper involved and correct the NRA. There you go. Because I want to see the NRA become the boogeyman that the Democrats say they are. Yeah. This is what I want to see. Sure. Well, that's what that's NRA, what's portrayed in the media. The mm. NRA helped write the, uh, what was the 89... Uh, uh, Assault weapons ban. They helped write that thing. Man. But well, you remember... I'm going to have to do a little research now. Yeah. And I'm so, usually one not to take things at face value, but I never thought you'd have to look into... The NRA? Right. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> but uh, I, I am a pro-lobbyist person, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I think lobbyists is how... It's another avenue to get your voice to government... Um, where a group of people can get together and hire a lawyer or a businessman to speak in one voice for them. It's like hiring a spokesperson. Sure. I think what we need to change is that lobbyists cannot, um, that it can't be monetary exchange or something like that. That needs to be a lobbying in. 100%. 100%. Lobby, lobbying in and of itself isn't bad. I mean, you look at a lot of the bills that have How been... How did tobacco get... I mean, anything, you know? Yep. Making it so you're not smoking on an airplane. A sure. lobbyist brought that. It wasn't you, a You could say you're a lobbyist right now, Jared, because <laughs> you, could say, you probably just gave him the eebie-jeebies about the NRA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, I and could I can't. have possibly put the suggestion in his mind to look into the sugar cartel's corrupt hold on... Forcing corn syrup down my throat. Oh, we'll definitely do that because that that's one, I don't drink, I don't consume corn syrup. If I I'm sure that help. that one is just to prop up our farms. So you'd have to go after our Department of Agriculture on that one. I guarantee that's where. Well, and we're we're all about you know helping Americans. And one thing that I think Trump did a good job out, and I know it's a little bit difficult, but you spoke of tariffs earlier. Even on on this, it's like a tariff on on the sugar. But uh, it did push manufacturing back to the United States mm-hmm. to a degree. So, I think it, he, it, and in the sorry, go it, ahead. No, I, I like it. I think I think he was onto a good point. I think he went about it wrong, but sure. I think bringing manufacturing back, but I think you do that through uh, tax policy. You do that through uh, regulatory policies. Sure. Well, but you know, back before income tax tariffs is what. Pretty much funded our... It's what funded the government. Yeah. So, but you look at it, and being in the oil and gas industry, that didn't come up yet, but my business I've had for 16 years in the, is in the oil and gas. 
and Already we buy a hero. Yeah, <laughs> we buy pipe but and I mean, things you, like you, that. You don't have to sell me anymore, oil and gas. And, <laughs> yeah. You know. So, uh, but we saw how that affected the price of overall material, uh, and it was somewhat costly. But at the same time, it did provide jobs and push manufacturing jobs back to the United States, which I think was a positive, a net positive. Uh, so, yeah, the way we do that, it has to be looked at delicately. Anything that's harmful for you, though, I, you know, going back to the sugar, that surprises me that we're one of the nations. I mean, we have we're one of the nations that is most technologically advanced. We understand these things. How is that? How do we have? Mexico, Canada, and some of these other countries that won't allow certain things in food, but but we do. That you that wanna, is a concern. You want to go conspiracy? Theory I don't want to go conspiracy. I'm just throwing it out there that there are some issues that we need to address. What if <laughs> lobbyist groups got together at the same time? Because our medical field benefits off us being unhealthy as well. Mm -hmm. And what if they fight for it at the same time? So it's like a. A business renovation program where we help the farms, we help the doctors, we help the insurance companies. We, you know, well, just, just pondering that. That's another, and, I, and I'm not trying to advocate for Trump or think, you know what I mean? I think Trump did a good job in certain things, but one thing that he was striving to do is the insulin. Mm -hmm. You know, lower the cost of insulin. Yeah. You look around, and we were one of the highest in, in the world. Well, but that's, that's, that's true, and that could lead into a, another question about, you're talking about lowering the price of insulin. That means you're price controlling, or are you going to say, this is no longer a proprietary technology? Mm -hmm. Hey, welcome to the competition, bro. And that's exactly what needs to happen, in my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. So being in the oil and sorry, we're kind of jumping no, around. Let's but, do it. But being in the oil and gas industry, I'm a mom pop shop, small, but I compete with national, you know, companies. Um, it would be nice for somebody to come in and say, hey, we're going to protect you and, you know, make certain concessions, but I have to compete at the same level they do, even though I'm at a, in my mind, a disadvantage when it comes to volume buying and things like that. But I've learned to work through those things and I've become a better company because of it. And we're lean and mean, and we still get it done. And I love the idea of open that up to market and that technology and allowing that to drive the price. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if, if they're going to set the price on that, why don't they set the price for me and say, well, we're going we're gonna to support all these little guys too, and so we're going to set this up this high. So they can, it's, that's not the way it was designed, nor I, do I think it's beneficial to the company itself. Mm -hmm. Let me, I look at some of the, the big companies like uh, Ford and Chevy that should have went bankrupt, that were saved. Mm -hmm. um, how did that happen? Why did that happen? That shouldn't have happened. And we shouldn't use taxpayer dollars in my mind to do that. The free market will will determine what happens because the point I was trying to make is if you're a business that's unviable because of your policies or your, you know, processes or whatever it may be, you shouldn't be in business and nobody should come in and save you. You that what's that's what makes you lean and mean. So the businesses benefit because they learn to survive in that environment. They're forced to. Yeah, and the consumer benefits because they get the best deal, the best service, mm -hmm. and everything else. Let me throw a caveat on to that. Uh-oh. Because no one's more free market than me, but 
we live in a world that we are inside governments and governments compete against other governments sure. physically and economically. Why did we save those automobile industries? Those automobiles industries aren't just economic tools to, to uh, provide comfort to the people. Those are weapons. Weapons mm. that we use in wartime to build tanks and things like that. So you're going to see things like um, manufacturing industries and airplane industries, things that provide us war technology to kill our enemies, sure. are going to have a little bit of favoritism from the government. I don't think... Understandably. Uh, I mean, GM was a part of building the Humvee, but I don't think GM... It's an well, asset let, that can yeah. be taken over by the I mean, government good, let and me converted throw, into a tank yeah. factory. Let me throw something out at you, though, that, that I've experienced firsthand. So, you know, being an entrepreneur and a business owner and somebody that, you know, takes things from nothing or takes things that are, uh, you know, not so great and makes them better. Um, there was a, a business in town that was failing, and I looked at that. And, and if that business failed, then that means tax revenue, a reduction in tax revenue to our city, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't look at it that way necessarily, but the city didn't come in to save that business. Somebody like me came in and said, I know how to fix that problem. We're not going to allow it to fail because there is the bones are good. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, somebody could have and should have come along that would have purchased Ford oh, or yeah. GM, mm -hmm. and then they would have made... Uh, you know, they would have built it into something right. and you would have got rid of all the That would have been fat. the best case scenario. Yeah. That's what yeah. happened with Dodge. And it, right. Fiat bought Dodge. And Dodge is the only one that really didn't benefit from yeah, that. I mean, they didn't fix Dodge because obviously <laughs> now it's built by Fiat, but Fiat bought Dodge. Excuse me. Man, you're you really hurt my. I drive a Dodge truck, so okay. Well. <laughs> I, I used to have a Dodge back in the day. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Another another technology like that is, that we can look at. Uh, we're always saying we need to sue these social media sites because they're not operating as uh, a platform for free speech. They're more like a news corporation, and therefore they're violating these laws. The two hundred one. Yeah. Again, we're talking about weapons of, of well, war. No, let me lay out what well, happened. Hold on, hold on. Let, me, let me finish this. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter was taken over to a degree by the government so that we can monitor for dissidents and, and uh, right. non-communist type mentalities and, and censor them and control the people. Because you don't want the people to get out of control. No, Trump won. Right? Yeah. Trump won and all the heads of all the media companies, all the social medias, got called in and had to account in front of Congress. And then we wonder why, when the FBI calls, Twitter picks up and says, yes, what can we do for you? <laughs> right. Because they got called in front of Congress. Same reason why IBM lost to Apple, mm -hmm. or first lost to Microsoft, then Microsoft took a step back to Apple. Because IBM was doing great, and Congress says, we ain't getting your lobby money. Mm -hmm. So they call the head of IBM in, tie him up for four years, Microsoft booms out, he's in charge. Mm. Now Bill Gates learned a lesson. The minute he made a dime, he gave a penny to Congress. Right. So when they called him in, he said, look, so much I've given you guys. And they said, oh yeah, never mind. <laughs> well, and back to David's point, 
Um, it's something that we were kind of talking about before we started the, the show. But uh, I think one of the biggest attacks on the Constitution right now, and we, we're blind to it to a degree, is the freedom of speech. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's really under attack with the censorship, uh, you know, with the cancel culture, with uh, all of these things, and, and even what you illustrated. But we should be very careful and, and uh, aware of what's going on. Um, if we lose the first two amendments, freedom of speech and, you know, the right to bear arms, we are in deep trouble, mm-hmm. deep trouble. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit concerning. Yeah, very much. I mean, all of the amendments are under attack. I mean, of course, the 10th Amendment, I can screech about that all day. That's been forgotten about. The 9th Amendment, God forbid the individual matters. Um, well, that's what the government was set up to do in the first place is to uh, uh, allow for individualism, mm-hmm. the, the uh, you know life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness or property. And uh, that's in the ninth amendment. And so mm-hmm. government is only, its role is so narrow and, and so finite, but it's, it's grown to be infinite. Mm-hmm. And it's ridiculous what we've gone from uh, when the Constitution was first put in place to what we are today. It's, not, it's unrecognizable, the government we're, we're dealing with. Yeah, no, so. 100%. I, but I want to go back to, like, we were talking about insulin earlier. And, and you know, how could... I, I know what I think the government could do to uh, set that up, to, to lower all medical prices or to marketize or to free marketize them. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on how a government could could uh, enable the free market to work better, a little more laissez-faire? That's a tough question because I feel like anytime government gets involved, they mess it up. <laughs> so, but uh, honestly, it, let me give you an experience. Maybe, well, deregulate to, to, the, to a degree. Um, let the market drive that, obviously. It's hard because the government was never set up to provide subsidies for companies to do certain mm-hmm. things. I do see some value in it. Like David, he says, you know, our, our uh, uh, what would you call it, national security, you know, and, and bailing out those uh, companies, the vehicle companies. Um, but if you look at uh, our technology with uh, microchips, microprocessors, we can't produce that here. Does the government give it, get involved in subsidize or incentivize companies to do that here so that we can provide those here in, in the United States was, and be self-sufficient? Was the government getting involved that made them leave here? Because we did. We invented them and we did produce them here. That's interesting. And then the government got involved, mostly a state government, which made them... And then the federal government got involved with its tax laws and, and industry regulations. Yeah. And so they took a look around the world and they said, hey, this little island over here off of China <laughs> makes awful good toys. Let's shoot. Yeah. And that's but, what they did. And it's a huge investment. They put somewhere else because the state of California went crazy on regulations in hmm. the late 80s. Because up to that, all of the chips were built here. Yeah. No one else touched it. But it goes back to your question, how do we, how do we help... Um, 
you know, the free market and medicines and things like that through government. And, and it's every time government touches something, it, it seems like it turns into a disaster. And that's why I'm very hesitant to, to get government involved to solve these problems. I feel like we make good policy. We make, uh, you know, good laws and, and few, <laughs> but good. Mm-hmm. And then allow the free market to dictate that. That's government really has to take a backseat mm-hmm. role. In my personal opinion, way back seat. Yeah, like, like we should like anchor chairs on the back of the bus <laughs> out by the engine, and they ride back there. Well, I know your your opinion of Reagan now, but he said <laughs> no. I like Reagan's a complicated. I don't have a negative opinion of him. Sure, but I have a, I have a, uh, I'm a very. Um, I don't build up heroes without finding finding their flaws. Sure, and maybe I need to be a little bit more. Uh, cynical mm-hmm. or, or you know look into that but he a comment that he made that I think is accurate is there's very little or basically not much government can do better than the free market uh, mm-hmm. and so government just needs to get out of the way and, and I tend to agree with that because every time when government gets involved and we've already talked about it the more involved government gets the more uh you know, the cycle starts with the lobbyists and the money and then the influence and the bigger they grow and the more they get involved in it. To me, um, we're basically weaponizing the government against us. The yeah, citizens. I, I definitely something I've said on this show many times. Um, our federal government feels like an adversary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. Yeah. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, do you think that we should be allowed to buy our prescription drugs overseas and have them shipped to us? That's a good question. I mean, we purchase a lot of other things overseas. Um, well, all our prescription drugs are bought overseas. <laughs> I was going to say, I think China per- manufactures quite <laughs> yeah. a bit. Yeah, you can't buy them directly. But yeah, buy them directly. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but being able to buy direct... Um, that's a good question. You know, in my line of business, we can buy, I, you know, we can buy Mexican pipe. We can buy, I won't say China because I, I hate to tell you, I just, I stay away from China as much as I possibly can. But um, Vietnamese or, you know, Mexican pipe or Canadian pipe, you know, or product, we have some of that coming in. And there's, it's really not a problem. I don't buy direct necessarily. It's through manufacturing and distrib- distribution. But that does help lower the costs of things. Um, I try to buy, you know, USA or domestic as often and, and as much as I can. So I don't know. It's It would definitely make things more affordable if we did. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is the health and safety of our citizens is very important. But obviously that's a personal choice too. I mean, if you're taking a chance with you know, a, a, a pill or a drug coming across that hasn't gone through the stringent safety tests? I don't know. That's a good question. What are, you, what are your thoughts? I would hope the website has a great feedback program. <laughs> yeah. Five stars. <laughs> one star. It'll be like, my wife is substituting my, my comment because I passed away when I took the pill. So she has well, to leave the feedback for right. me. I also wonder about, the fear. about changing our patent laws. Yeah. 
patent laws to where <clears throat> where there's thresholds, either a time limit that's mm-hmm. restrictive, and then you can't change one little thing on the end of it and extend the patent like they've done yeah. with Viagra and insulin and all that what? over and over again. But what if you did the patent laws that, okay, you invested $200 million to make this, you get to double that. And then the patent dies, or you get ten years, right? And then the patent dies, and then the patent, and then it spreads out to generic. It's interesting that you you mentioned that because I had a conversation with somebody just this week that had 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 to fight a battle, a, a, a patent battle, and because he had created something, went through the patent office, patented his product, and then it basically got stolen, or you know, copied. And was it copied domestically or I think I don't I think it was international. Okay. Internet but still Which complicates it. The heck yeah, out of but that. it's it's still something that the United States should protect against. Mm-hmm. He fought like a four year battle, finally won. But what he realized is that the instead of being a as solid of a of protection as we thought, patents are not. They're not unless yeah. you're in the pharmaceutical field. Yeah, there you go. Because how often, how, how many times you see a commercial and then all of a sudden the same company's making a commercial that does the same thing, mm-hmm. it's just a new commercial and the name has gotten a little more eclectic. Right. That's because they, right at the end of that patent, quit mm-hmm. making that product, put another, you know, instead of a V on that blue pill, they put an X on it. <laughs> They call it, instead of, say, Viagra, they call it Xiagra. Yeah. Does the exact same thing, and then it pops out. Hmm. Viagra was the most expensive, highest selling, the most expensive, the most profit that until the vaccine that uh, the pharmaceutical That's companies crazy. had until Cialis came along. And just because of competition... They dropped the price of Viagra. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think competition should be allowed. So I, I agree. Let's let the patent offices figure out a way. There has to be sunset clauses on those, yes. Yeah, uh, double your, double your but, investment, and then we're good. Yeah, but the initial patent needs to be protected, and it yeah. needs to be solid. And that was this gentleman's concern. And in fact, it concerns me because I have, uh, personally, I have one patent that I've done uh, on an apparatus that I've invented, but then... Uh, I have a company where there's several partners, but we're currently patenting, you know, other products that we're we're creating, and that becomes a concern that mm-hmm. that it's not as solid and, and it's not as straightforward as you think. You get a patent, you spend all these thousands of dollars to patent this item and everything else, go through the process, and it's a long, drawn out process. It's not like it's mm-hmm. you know, next month I have my patent. For me, the first patent was almost a year, or maybe even a little over. You don't a year. just send off a blueprint. And yeah, Einstein. I mean, you have attorneys that are researching it. everything, and they've mm-hmm. got to make sure that they're original ideas and that it's patentable and all of these things. And then you go through that whole process, and you you're waiting, and you know it's a patent pending, and then you get your patent, and then it's almost useless. Worthless. And then you have to defend your patent if right. it's attacked, and that's right. that's where the big money is. Is when you when you get attacked through a, a patent and you want to defend yourself, you've got to have that kind of pharmaceutical type money in order right. to make it a, a, a legitimate method of protection because the normal person doesn't have that or you no. just get ronald reagan to sign into law that you can't be sued for this vaccine you put out <laughs> did he do that too yeah oh uh, my goodness anti-vax lawsuit laws that's reagan 
Gotcha. I'm, so. I'm hammering Reagan tonight, but I like Reagan. Yeah. I just got to no. hammer him. I mean, he well, released all the crazies onto the streets, too. But that was started under JFK. <clears throat> Reagan just completed what JFK signed in <clears throat> be done. Yeah. Well... Well, I, I'm going out of here a different man. That's for that's for sure. Look into Coolidge, you'll feel much better. <laughs> we we got uh, ten more minutes before we had you for yeah. about an hour. Let's talk about the border because we no. ask everyone about the border. We yeah. got to go yeah. into the border at least for a few minutes here, Jared. We kept having a lot of uh, a lot of drops on here, so it uh, it's driven the live viewers away. So no comments right now. But this, of course, will be up on YouTube and BitChute. Hey, I can't help it if I'm boring. No, no so I'm just kidding. It, it's Facebook is killing us. But anyway, so the border. Yes. What do we do? It's a good question. So I went to a seminar not very long ago. So first of all, I've been involved with the Hispanic community in Roosevelt. Roosevelt's I mentioned this already. That, that whole area over there, uh, well, Roosevelt, Randolph, they've got a large... Uh, Large migrant community, sure. Large, large legal migrant, and possibly a large illegal migrant community. Correct, but it, because it's a dynamic, hardworking place. Right. So you have the oil and gas industry, like mm -hmm. we already mentioned. It's an agricultural area, so you mm -hmm. have farming going on. But then you have a lot of dairies in that area, mm -hmm. and that's where a lot of them end up. Either dairies, agriculture, you know, farming, and oil and gas is. And with that comes the support of all that, which brings them into sure motels. Uh, construction, especially dynamic construction and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, are they needed here? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of good people here. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is I don't, I don't care who you are. Securing the border has to be number one priority for us, as far as a national uh, defense issue, national security issue. We have to secure the border, uh, and Part of that is because of the drugs that are coming across, mm. the human trafficking. We already have talked about how many, um, uh, what do they call it, sleeper cells and people that are coming in from oh, other yeah. countries. Mallorca's came out, what, two weeks ago, yeah. warned us about that? Oh, absolutely. And so, really, what's happening, in my opinion, is you have an administration that is playing on the hearts of the citizens of saying, oh, well, we don't want to be the bad guy if we let them in. Well, these are my friends. These are my family, basically. I mean, that's what we mm -hmm. consider ourselves. And there's no one that would advocate harder for them than me. But I guarantee we have to secure that border. We just have to. Human, all of these issues. Over 100,000 people have died of, of opioid overdose or fentanyl overdose. The problem with that is not only the deaths, but China is lining its pockets profiting. with that. They are profiting off the chemicals they're selling to the drug cartels. What are, and then they're buying farm ground in the United States with the money they're making off of the drug industry, the illegal drug industry. It's like a dog chasing its tail. It? It, it's ridiculous what we're doing down there. Now, I will say this. We definitely need immigration reform as far as... I, I have a friend who... Um, his mother passed away. He was here legally, but it was during COVID, and uh, so he wasn't able to fly back. He missed his date of when he was supposed to go back to Peru and you know do everything correctly. Well, instead of getting his documents in order and, and you know going and, and taking care of that, he went ahead and went thinking it wasn't that big of a deal. He's been there for a year and a half. He has business, very productive, trying to do everything legally. 
and he's been there for a year and a half. Yeah. Should he have to go through all that rigmarole to get his paperwork together? No. Where, like you said, someone with ill intent, they it's just walking across cross the border. And so what is the incentive for these people to do it legally when they're being incentivized by our government to come across illegally? And yeah. claiming asylum. And in talking with this border agent, he was the captain uh, of the Border Patrol in Yuma. And he was saying that um, in, now the border agents are spending, before it was 20% of their time with administrative duties, paperwork, filling these things out for people coming across legally. 20% doing that and 80% you know, on the border actually patrolling to just the opposite. Now they're dealing it's with all paperwork. 80% paperwork and administrative things and only 20% watching the border. That is terrible. But the other thing that's happening is a lot of those illegal migrants are coming into our areas, Utah, Texas, and everything else. Well, that's putting strain on our police, our sheriffs. And then you have ICE saying, well, and this came out just recently, but you're a, you're a um, sanctuary state. We don't have the manpower. Roosevelt City doesn't have the manpower How do we to hire. become a sanctuary state? Well, that's what was being said, and there was a huff of blue about that. You'll have to look into that. I'll let you look into it. But, I'd like to, yeah. that's a. But that's what they were portraying, is that because our uh, police and law enforcement was not willing to work with ICE, that they were going to deem us a sanctuary state. And in their defense, in our the way I look at it, and this is my own opinion, but it's not, we are not, we don't have the finances. We don't have the manpower to deal mm-hmm. with the federal government's problem. And ISIS, they're the one that created that problem by allowing all those people to come in illegally. And now that burden is being put on us. And, uh, and it's very difficult. If you think about border agents tying up their time, 80% of their time with administrative issues, let's do that with all of our police force and see how Yeah, it's just... It's a major problem that's got to be dealt with. Yeah, I, I there's, I used to be one of those big preachers that if we just do away with the welfare system that's available to them, mm-hmm. that'll cure the problem. We don't need to build a wall. But now it's turned into where, I mean, before, yeah, we had cocaine and that coming. And if we build the wall, the fentanyl's still going to come. Yeah. It's going to come the same way cocaine did. It didn't come through Mexico mostly. It came through... Uh, water, seaborne or airborne. Gotcha. Um, but, and again, would the wall work? But that is, I think, become our big danger because honestly, we ain't making enough babies. We need immigration. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're at what, 2.3% or something? Mm-hmm. And you've got to be at 25 to maintain your population. To maintain. Yep. That's just replacement level. That doesn't allow for growth. Right. And so, I mean, if you remain at 2.5, that's where you end up looking like uh, France. Sure. You know? And if you go drop below 2.5, that's where you look like Japan and you have a zombie economy. Mm-hmm. You know, an economy that has to outsource. There's a reason why Toyotas aren't made in Japan anymore. <laughs> They're made in the USA. They're made here. Yep. They're made in Mexico. You know, they're made in in Europe and in North Africa. Mm-hmm. You know. No, and I agree. And that you know, we're a nation of immigrants. We are. And and we, you know, my my ancestors came from across the pond. They came from you know Great Britain and that area. 
but we legalized legalized migration or legal migration is what we need to work toward because we do need them and, and they just and if we make it legal they stop they give us their name where they're going bingo. We, we got our track right. record of them they exactly the system and i still think you know my personal opinion is we do need a border and it's not necessarily a wall everywhere yeah. it's just we need to make sure we have security measures across there. I want lots of checkpoints, so make right. it convenient for them to come and give us their name and where mm-hmm. they're going. So another illustration of this is uh, uh, another individual that I know um, that lived in Sonora, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Her son came across the border every day and, and attended school. Mm-hmm. And the border patrol agents knew his knew him by name, and he had come back and forth and. And they were content because he was getting an education over here. It was fairly, you know, easy to come he back and forth. He probably had the, the college visa, all yeah. that. And yeah. he was younger, so he was, was like, uh, you know, grade school, high school, things oh, like okay. that. But still, I mean, he was a young kid coming mm-hmm. across the border safely. Just a little guy cruising across. Yeah. Yeah, little kid with the 25-pound backpack, backpack on. Right. That's killing me nowadays. <laughs> I see those little kids. We're making some good infantrymen in the future. There you go. They're going to be able to hump. <laughs> so, but you, you look at that and that is a success. I mean, mm-hmm. those types of things are successes and that's what we need to look towards. And having a more, uh, uh, not an open border, but having a policy where those types of things can happen, positive things, but we shut down the negative aspect of it. And, and we make them come yeah. through the legal entry points. Well, if we give lots of entry points where it's easy to get through, it's easier to watch where it's not an entry point. Yeah. We can turn our attention there where we have, you know, the the toll booth over here that's simple, that's quick. You're through it. It's working. Then we can watch where it's not a toll booth. Right. If they're coming through there, we can control that. Sure. Maybe. I don't know. It's just a thought. No, I, well, and, and when, they, when they put on that presentation, it was, it had to work both ends. To be successful, and and I agree with that that uh, approach, and that is secure the border, but legal migration mm-hmm. needs to be simpler, yeah. more you know. And that's been killing us for sixty years. Yeah, yeah. It's it's honestly it's it's become a burden to where uh, it should be easier to get here legally than I- illegally. Right. It should be cheaper. Right. Well, if someone's willing to pay a coyote six grand to get here, knowing that you're going to be savaged along the way, how much does it cost to get here legally? Well, you brought up one really good point. Sorry, David. Uh, I feel like we're talking a lot and we're leaving yeah, you out Jared of the conversation. Just can't close his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jared. No, it's about. fine. But it's fine. What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> what's happening that I've seen personally, and I've been involved with this, working with that community is when they get here legal, uh, you know, they're trying to get citizenship or whatever, they hire an attorney and it's $5,000 every time. The illegals, they get here illegal, but they start in the in the justice process and everything else. So they're quasi here legally. They came illegally, but they're in the process. And so technically they're trying to, trying to make it right. $5,000 every time you turn around. And so the attorneys are really taking, you know, benefiting i feel and i'm not saying um uh you know there's any malintent there but they're definitely making a good living doing this when it really needs to be just much simpler it wouldn't surprise me if there's a lobbyist group for attorneys (laughs) i didn't that did not come out of my mouth this nation is is not designed 
actually it's designed against it but that was done away with um, early on you couldn't be an attorney to be in political office in the beginning you yeah. couldn't act it, 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 I don't know if you could you could be legally trained which back then was meant you read a book or two ask Lincoln <laughs> but you couldn't be an attorney because I think they saw but this nation as it stands right now is built to make attorneys rich it's really interesting, and we have a lot of attorneys in, in Washington. That's part of the reason I'm running. I'm not an attorney. I'm a businessman. I'm a logical thinker. I'm a problem solver. And uh, I think we need more of that back there. Oh. You look at where we're at, you look at what we've done, and you look at where we're at, we need something different. Mm-hmm. We need a change. And uh, I don't know how else to put it, but it's the way it's set up, there's a reason why... America is in the situation it is, and it's not by happenstance. And it's it's hard to watch, but mm-hmm. we do need good people that that uh, just want to do the right things for the right reasons, and really can't be bought or purchased. And those are hard to come from, come by. And and I'm not saying attorneys are bought and purchased, but our legal system is designed to where attorneys. Make bank on both yeah. sides. And coming I'm not and trying going. to demonize attorneys either because yeah. I know, like, we have a city attorney. He's one of my best friends, so I don't want to mm-hmm. demonize them. But I'm just thinking in general, and I'm not saying that just about attorneys. But um, we need we need people we need people that understand the law. We need people that understand those things. But we also need a good dynamic of people that understand everyday, mm. you know hard-working families and what it, what it's like to work a seven to five job and you know get by paycheck to paycheck and everything else we need real people that understand what the decisions that are being made in washington and how they you know how those decisions affect everyday americans mm. well I, I will leave you with uh with an idea of mine because I do demonize attorneys right, more often than I should. But I do. I know as, as someone who's in the computer programming kind of biz, the, the programmers have been outsourced. And you can't protect that. You can't put a license on people who can program in the country and program out of the country. Mm-hmm. And that's drastically changed the price of programming. Sure. Now... I don't think that people that uh, practice law or want to study American law should be prohibited from not practicing in America if they're foreigners. And I know for a fact that we protect our American lawyers and have these privileges and practices and licenses to prevent this kind of outsourcing work from going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was a lawmaker, I would I would do everything I can to tear down any type of licensing that protects the American lawyer from the Indian lawyer. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. And I don't disagree with that. In fact, uh, you know, with one of the companies that we own, we do hire developers and they are outside. Some of them are outside uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. But uh, the main guy that we're using is definitely a U.S. guy. And he just outsources what he can't handle, but that's up to him, not not us. But uh, yeah, how do you, how do you? I don't know. But, but I agree with you. The protection is is tough. How do you? Yeah, I I don't know. How do you deal with that? I mean, 
it's not just programmers. It's when you call to, you have a problem with your Verizon account or, <laughs> or, or your. Hey, I do QuickBooks and I, I know this yeah, firsthand. Quick, I do yeah. QuickBooks as well for my business. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, and I hate to say it, but a lot of times I'm like, can you just get me somebody that speaks English? I know. <laughs> Is I their know. Fa- and, first and language. to say, but when yeah. you're in a financial circumstance like that, right. I want clear communication. Sure. And it's tough. And there's a lot is. of things that they can handle yes. and they can outsource, but it, it's important when it's a complex problem that you it's have somebody that, but that you can communicate well with. The world is moving that way. Sure. And eventually, you'll be lucky if you speak to a human, period. True. I mean, nowadays, it's all getting to where they want to do an internet chat with you mm-hmm. from a bot. I can't right. type. I can't type. <laughs> so, hey, Jared, hey. you do have some comments if you want to get to we those. We do. Before. All right, let's yeah. get to the comments. You're, First, you're good before we do the comments. Oh, yeah, sure. Before we do the comments, I want to tell everyone, if you want to look into Rod, um, uh, it's Rod Bird Jr., J-R, for utah.com and of course it will be in the show notes just a hyperlink uh it looks like you have what five kids four kids four kids and two, two of them in-laws married yeah okay okay so daughter-in-law on the left son-in-law on the right correct all right so four kids um lovely family gun owner hunter all the things we like to see. I wish I could have got Dave into hunting, but I'll still have to work on it maybe in the future. But, you know, and a business owner, uh, self-made man, things like that. That's yeah. good stuff. Okay, let's hit the comments. What do we got? So, Holly, Holly has a comment, and Holly's on the show quite often here. Isn't that kid getting a free education? And she's referring to the kid that's going back and forth. The kid out of that the was crossing the border. That's a good question. I have no idea. You know what? I think, I think he may have. I'm not sure. I didn't get that far in the story. Mm. I didn't ask those so questions. So that's still also a burden on the taxpayers on the other side, potentially. And I don't know that he was, but I can find out. Okay. Because I, I, I know the family well, and I can find out just to see. Because I know that is a concern. Mm-hmm. And because I would gladly like it down in South Texas, open up our schools to them, but they pay for their kid to go to school here. That yeah. whatever, uh, you know. My understanding is that they paid, but I will find out for sure because I've heard both. Okay. But I'll find out for sure. It'll be interesting. Okay. Holly also says, would you vote to audit close or at least cut the federal agencies oh that's an easy one absolutely okay in fact let me give you a quick uh, thought that i had fbi meter maids (laughs) heads in the right place so i think the federal government does more uh, more than they need to to audit us as a citizenry right (laughs) and uh, we have nothing we have the irs we have all these other agencies that audit us and make sure that we're toeing the line where are agencies that are auditing the federal government and where our money's being spent, mm-hmm. uh, the bills that are being passed, the pork that's being injected mm. in those bills? So here's an idea that I had years ago. Like, it, like a, a, a general inspector general. Well, right. But one of the thoughts that I had is to create a 501c3 or some type of a, a, an entity where people would 
kind of like the NRA, but different. Go easy. This is uh, this uh, a family uh, friendly show. Guns no of America. Pornography. <laughs> no pornography <laughs> no, on this show. Don't okay. go too deep into it. Uh, long story short, just people would subscribe. We would hire attorneys, lawyers, and w- their job would be to audit the federal government. So not not only are they not government employees, they're employed by a five hundred one c three. To do this, and then yes. Ooh. So, and somebody said, "Well, that'll never work because there's." And I said, "Well, why not?" And they said, "Well, nobody cares." And I'm like, "What the heck?" So when I started looking at the Senate race, and this is not something that I ever aspired to, by the way. This is something I felt called, mm-hmm. and and uh, strongly that I needed to do. But as I got looking at it, so I started looking like, "Well, what do they make, and what is this?" And do you realize that a senator seat? gets almost $3 million starting out to hire staff. Well, I yeah. thought, well, that's... Mm-hmm. Congressmen's get like one or... Yeah, almost one, almost one million, yeah. I think. $3 million, I can hire staff to you audit can. the federal government. And I thought, I'll hire some attorneys and I'll hire some accountants and I'm a pretty good accountant. And what we'll do is we'll audit these agencies, but we'll audit the That'd federal budget. would be the budget. worst office to walk into in there, just full of auditors and attorneys. And it'd just be, ah. But... Just them talking, it'd be, uh, yeah. Like, but the thing of it is, is <laughs> but to pull out that information and get it no, to the public, perfect. but also to look at these agencies and make sure that they're towing the line. And definitely, I mean, the DOE, get rid of. Mm. It, there's the RAINS Act also that's being proposed. And I know Mike Lee is a, a proponent for this, and I would be also. But uh, to really cut back on the regulations that these bureaucracies can implement without going through an act of Congress. They shouldn't be able to uh, implement any regulations. It should yeah. all be through Congress. Exactly. Because regulation is a law. Exactly. hundred percent. And I agree with that. To give you an idea. So we have, Oh, go ahead. Can we fire the ATF on public TV? Help me understand the ATF. The alcohol, alcohol tobacco, tobacco and firearms. It's not like public TV. Make it like a game show. It's not a convenience store. It's an actual yeah. agency. Can we like like th- that one there? You know, or or pay per view. Yeah, I like do. Look, we, the government needs to get into pay per <laughs> pay per view business, right? We could pay off some of our debt. You sure. Know, make but, our first pay per view, firing the ATF right. or moving them about. You know, and I I agree. It's I'll go back to the comment that I made earlier. There's nothing that government can do. Uh, better than than us as a, mm-hmm. as an American people, and and the overregulation, these bureaucracies that have been blown out of proportion, blown out of control, really are robbing us and our children of freedoms and liberties that that have made America great, and that's really what it's about. Freedom, uh, it doesn't feel really free here in America anymore <laughs> with everything. It's it's tough, and yeah. uh, we need to we need to roll that back. We have one more question. It's more of a comment. Yes. Look how much the Department of Defense is missing. Did that? Yeah. They're. I don't know what they're missing right now. I do know that they came out with a report a few months ago. They were missing a couple billion. Um, And I do know that. uh, Missing a couple billion in their budget? Like it just disappeared? Yeah. 
It does happen. Yeah, I mean, there are Green Berets out there amongst the world. That's probably where most of that billion went missing. But you understand, that's why it's important to have it is. a couple of accountants constantly watching the budget. We need to be accountable to the American people. Yes. for Just like the story that I told in the beginning, we have to be accounted, accountable for our public and our citizens of how their money is spent. Same thing for the federal government. They're not exempt from that. 100%. And just, I think we need to roll back to the Tenth Amendment. Mm-hmm. The, the, I think the ATF should be a state by state. Do the states want it? Yeah. Well, and and going back to the Tenth Amendment, we have a lot of uh, not only these bureaucracies, but we have a lot of welfare programs and things like that mm-hmm. that are administered through the federal government. Let me give you an example how we do it in the Uinta Basin. So we have, and very briefly, we have an addiction recovery home mm-hmm. there, faith based. Uh, non-denominational faith-based. It's all driven and uh, funded through donations, local donations. Mm. Not a federal dollar, not a not a taxpayer dollar for the most part. And uh, we take care of our own. We just had an event last night. It was a charity event, uh, Choose for Charity, raised in R- Little Old Roosevelt, over $250,000 wow. for these charities. That's how we do that. We don't need the federal government to tell us how to take care of That's our people. Right. We know how to take care of our people. How much does it cost for one person to do a recovery mission there? Uh, for that person to come and actually... Uh, be recovered. It, it, it's free to them if it need be. Wow. Well, how much does it cost you? But it probably, I, I don't know how much it yeah. actually costs. But it probably depends on <clears throat> how their long level they, of addiction, mm-hmm. their motivation to get off it. Right. I mean, there's mm-hmm. so many factors. And let me give you a, <clears throat> a quick statistic on that. That'll, that at least impresses me. So faith-based is the key, and, and also you know being funded by the public, or not by the but privately through donations. Forty-six um, percent success rate. Mm. The national average on their on your no, normal addiction recovery is six to eight mm. percent. Wow, I was going to say fifteen, but yeah, wow, forty-six percent. Forty-six percent. That's an, that that's is impressive. Huge. Yeah, and. But you know what's really interesting about that is because it's faith-based, the you can't get any kind of uh, public funding for that. Good, but so that's you build how a wall around it, <laughs> right? The safety wall. That's yeah. why the Catholic Church has produced the best kids, I guess. Sounds good to me. Although I'll bet the Catholic <laughs> churches still get forced money down their throats by. Anyways. We got to cut you loose. Thanks well, for coming on. Thanks for having me on. Um, Dave usually asks this, but I'll ask it. So, you get elected. Can we come do a show from your office? Absolutely. After the lawyers and accounts have left for the day. Yeah, please. let's kick them out. Yeah, I mean, please. I mean, I'm just kidding. Because, <laughs> I mean, could you just imagine their conversation uh, back and forth? In a, oh, a guy talking numbers and a guy talking the intricacies of law. <laughs> And these aren't like criminal romance novels. These aren't like criminal lawyers where they've got a juicy story to tell you. Like my cousin, these are these are policy lawyers. You guys bring your equipment, and we'll have you bet. We'll have a good time. All right, everyone. Rod Bird Jr. Uh, It's Rod. It's we'll go back to it's Rod Bird. Junior for Utah.com. If you want to go and donate, want to find out more, he's got a whole list, a whole policy thing. I know people come on here and you guys expect professionalism and then I show up. But, you know, uh, check him out, give him a look. He's the mayor of Roosevelt and uh, they're in the Uinta Basin and they have a similar dynamic to us, 
but uh, uh, their demographics are just a little different. So go and check it out. Um, outstanding conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on.